Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, uh, Mark's Gospel. Uh, if you've been with us at Hope, we, we, in 2023, we said we're going to walk our way through Mark's Gospel. We, we've, we haven't gone verse to verse. In fact, we've gone out of it some, come back through as the Holy Spirit's been leading. But, but we're in a place in Mark's Gospel that is so evidently clear and, 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 and ripe for our world today that, that we need to understand. Because if you think about Mark's Gospel, it is Peter's eyewitness account or retelling of what Jesus said and did. And, and, it's, and it was written through Mark, because again, kind of that ghostwriter's mentality, but his name Mark. But it actually was Peter. He had, he had hands on, eyes on. He knew everything that took place. And there's a, there's a real need in the body of Christ, especially in our nation, to reconnect to the Jesus of the Bible. Not, not the Jesus of culture, but the Jesus of the Bible. And, and no better way than to go back and say, what did he say? What did he do? How did he act? And when he says, follow him, that means we do what he did. And so throughout this story in Mark's gospel, from chapter one on, Jesus has been showing to the world in his coming, he says, look, I, I'm God. <laughs> I, am, I am sent from heaven. I am the, the Messiah, the, the chosen one, the anointed one you've been looking for. And there was an implied question from day one. From the moment he was baptized by John the Baptist, there was an implied question. That was, what are you going to do with me? What are you going to do with me? They, they didn't like everything about him. How many know that still today people don't like everything about Jesus, right? Because he gets into our business. But uh, they didn't like everything about him. They said, why aren't you observing the Sabbath like, like we do? And he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. They, he said, look, I, I get it. Your, your hero is Abraham. But I got to tell you something. Before Abraham was, I am. And oh, that, that just set them off. And then it was really a decision, do we, do we crucify this guy or do we worship him as the king of kings and lord of lords? But not only did he say things, he did miracles. He, he opened blind eyes. He, he raised dead back to life. He, he, he changed uh, the, the chaos that is in this world through sin by his presence, showing them that he had the power over the physical realm. He had power over the spiritual realm. Demons would manifest. He'd like, silence, get out. Uh, they, they all knew who he was. They're like, why are you here, son of God? Even demons know who he is. You recognize that? And he's like, I've got power over the, the spiritual realm. And he has power over the natural realm, even to reverse death. But then they accused him that his power was actually from Satan. Can you imagine? And, and he made this statement. He said, a, a house divided against itself will not stand. That wasn't new to Abraham Lincoln. That, that was Jesus, all right? Because he says, look, you've got to understand, I do this by the power of God. Satan brings death, but I overcame that. Satan brings chaos, but I speak into chaos and bring peace. So again, crucify me or crown me. It's your choice. And now we come to a passage in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. Well, finally, Jesus says it out loud. It's not implied anymore. It's time to decide. And for some in church today, I, I know this. I, I grew up in church. I know how easy it is to fall into this pattern where you really come to a place where you're not against Jesus. You, you love him. You, you clap at the right places. You sing. You say. But, but truly, you haven't really stayed all in. You haven't really got into that, that place where he is our everything. And yet for others today, it's, it is I want to make it as clear as possible what it means to follow Jesus. Today, I want to bring the gospel. I, I want to know what it is to follow Jesus and have your life, your testimony, who you identify as, who you identify for, line up with your identity and say, I am a 
Christian. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to present the gospel today as best I can. How are we saved? How do we experience eternal life? And may I just say, let us never grow tired of hearing the gospel. I know, I know what it is. I know people come like, oh, I always want a deeper message than that. Let me, let me remind you of words by D.L. Moody. I fear the salvation of anyone who does not fear for the salvation of everyone. And sometimes we, we gorge ourselves in the Greek and the Hebrew. We want to know about the mysteries of the end time and all that when a world is lost and dying and going to hell without Jesus. We need the gospel. My prayer every Sunday is, God, I pray that somebody will walk into this place who their life is changed forever. And I pray, God, let someone walk into this place that we are changed forever, that the body of Christ known as hope is changed forever because of who you send, God, to follow you. So pick up in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come and follow me, uh, would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Father, today, I pray, God, as, as you have guided us in this service, God, Lord, so beautifully by your Holy Spirit to this point, God, that we may be able to answer the question, what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with him? What, what is he to us in our lives? So, God, I pray, let the word be clear. God, let my words be clear. And God, maybe you be glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone, if anyone would come after me. Guys, the gospel is so inclusive, isn't it? It, it, it opens wide the gates and says, if anyone who, who would come after me, it's an invitation for all who are far off. It's an invitation for all who've been put off by the church and by, by those that name themselves as Christians. It, it's for all who are living in opposition to the word of God. If anyone but yet we push back and say, but God, <laughs> you, you don't know what I've done if anyone is inclusive. Do we understand that? If anyone, yeah, but I identify with a life in a way that's opposite of what the Bible teaches. How therefore can I be a Christian? If anyone, if anyone would come after me. Whatever our yeah, but is, whatever we can come up with as an excuse, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. Here's the pathway. In fact, in Romans 10, 13, Paul the Apostle wrote this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Help me out. Save. You can't go quiet on me today, guys. We're, we're pushing in the gospel, all right? For everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. The gospel, it's so inclusive. But yet at the same time, it's so exclusive. And, and that's where the rub is. That's where we struggle we, we love everyone. We're saying, come, come, come. But there's an exclusivity that says Jesus said there is a way to come. There is a, a path that leads to life. There's a way that is right, that, that is right to men, and the word says it leads to death. But there's a pathway of God that leads to life. So he says, if anyone, then he says they must, depending on what version of the Bible, NIV, King James, we have the ESV here. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Oh, we don't like to be told we must do anything, do we? 
I, I got a little bit of that rebelliousness in me sometimes. It's just like, don't tell me what I can't do, you know, but we, we have that. And yet Jesus said, if you want to follow me, there's something you must do. I, I put it this way in my, in my notes. I said, he's saying there is a requirement and not an extra elective when it comes to following him. If you went to college, if you remember those days, remember electives? Electives were crazy, weren't they? I mean, when I came out of high school in College Station, Texas, I go to Texas A&M University, and they lay out all my plans to be this accountant, and, and yet there's all these hours for electives. And I start going through the list, and I see something called fencing. Raising cows, I'm like, I've, I've laid a lot of fence. You mean I can get an A for laying fence? Come on, somebody. I signed up and they gave me a sword. And I'm like, really? Come on, somebody. I got to sword fight for a semester and got an A. That's an elective, somebody. How I many of you don't major in fencing? It's a requirement, it's the required courses. And this statement of Jesus of if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take your cross and follow me. It's not a requirement for what I call those AP or super Christians. How many of the Bible has no differentiation among Christians? There's not like the superstar Christians over here, man. They get it. But yet somehow we've differentiated that in our own minds. And I, I hear from occasion someone will say, well, you know, I'm, I see those strong Christians, but I'm just an ordinary Christian pastor. Well, what does that mean? Well, typically it means I show up for church occasionally. Easter and Christmas got that covered. I don't swear as much as most. Do I yell at my wife? Who doesn't? Do I lie to get by? Who doesn't? And after all, the sin I allow in my life is small. It's, it's my own little pet sin, and it's not hurting anyone. It's okay for you strong Christians over there. Y'all get radical. Y'all get all in. That's great. But you know what? I'm just an ordinary Christian, and God understands. Can you imagine? It's like me standing with Denise uh, 38 years ago and going through our vows and saying, baby, here, here's the deal. I want to be married, but I want to stay a bachelor. How many know I would not be married 38 years to my beautiful bride? It makes no sense. There's no such thing. If, if, if the truth is, you say, well, I'm just an ordinary Christian. The truth is you're not a Christian. If you're not, if you haven't surrendered your life going all in, that's, that's what you're going to see in the Word today. It's more than a belief, a mental assent. It is a release. It is a, a surrender to God. So he says, if you will come after me, first of all, he says, you must deny yourself. And that's, that's hard. That's, that's hard to even define. But Colossians, uh, Paul wrote to the church of Colossae in Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What he was saying, Paul was not giving an inclusive list to say, okay, if you got these things covered, you're good. What he was saying was, no matter what your proclivity towards sin is, it has to be surrendered to God. Whatever that looks like, it has to be surrendered to God. If, if our desires do not line up with God's word, we're called to surrender those to our God to put aside our selfish desires and put those things under the power of the Holy Spirit and put them to death. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, whatever in our life is opposite of God's nature and opposite of God's commands must be put to death in order to follow God. And you say, how do you do that? Stay with me. How do you do that? That seems so extreme. How? I just thought I needed to just believe. Let me, let me get you there this morning. If you believe that the word of God is true, then everything about it is true. 
God did not give us his word to cherry-pick verses to win arguments. He gave us his word to know his heart, to know his desire, and therefore to walk it out. When you think about it, if, God, if we say God's word is true, and I, I have to say that, do you believe that? Because that, that really is the key, or do you believe God's word is true? Then even when it doesn't make sense, yet when we obey it, there's power in it. I mean, I read the scripture, and I have my verses I'd like to throw out. Love your enemies. Really? But it feels so much better to get revenge. It feels so much better to hold a grudge. It feels so much better to have them define my life so I can justify my anger. But yet I never will know the power behind the command until I obey it. And when you obey it, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, this works. What a great God. Ephesians tell me to treat my wife with love and respect, laying my life down so that she may become everything God created her to be. But yet if you never do that, you never experience that. But when you do, you're like, wow, that works. But we've got to be careful because we come to any part of Scripture we think that doesn't apply to us, we try to dismiss it. Well, God, that's cultural, that's, you know, that's, that's old school, that, that's, again, that's for those super Christians. But no, he said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You see, whatever we hold out to God is impossible. <laughs> he, he will say to us, I understand I understand you battle that because in our human existence, I understand that you're part of a culture that screams that your identity is based on what you feel, so just go for it. You can say, I was born this way. God says, understand. We are born into sin and iniquity according to God's word, Psalm 52. You, you can say, my family's genetically predisposed to certain addictions and behaviors, but can I tell you this morning, that's not the end of your story. That's the power of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. Just because we're born into sin and iniquity, it doesn't mean we stay that way. It doesn't mean we are, we're defined by that. Jesus says, of course you're born that way. But through the cross, you have the ability to be reborn because he has the power to overcome that which we deny in ourselves. But we have to deny ourselves. We have to be all in. We have to be born again. You see, the difficulty we face is this. Many people have convinced themselves, again, taking the word of God out of context, you hear the statement, well, God makes no mistakes. Ever said that? Everybody's looking down right now. He doesn't. But we live in a world that is cursed by sin. And we're born into sin and iniquity because of the fall of mankind. Someone says, but, but God made me perfect. I have news for you today. You're not perfect. Welcome to hope. God bless you. There are only three people ever born perfect. Not, not, no, I'm sorry, three people ever walked this earth perfect. Two were born, one was not born. Adam and Eve were created perfect. Do you understand that? Go back and read Genesis 1 and 2. But by the time you got to Genesis 3, they stopped being perfect because they were deceived by Satan and entered into sin. But then there's also Jesus who came into this world as God, Jehovah, the one who walks with us, Emmanuel, God with us, who knew no sin. But our souls, our humanity, has a natural disposition to sin from the day we're born. It's hardwired into us to think of what's best for us and only go after that which matters to us. I was laughing about all the babies born around here, and yes, we hold them up and go, oh, how cute they are. But if you've raised kids, it doesn't take long 
until you find out <laughs> that no matter how cute they seem, they are tiny little tyrants that will rule your life if you let them. You observe them for a little while, and, and you'll see the selfish nature of sin manifest. I never had to teach Britt or Wesley or Chloe, if you have something and, and somebody takes it from you, you do whatever it takes to get it back and use those, that magical word, mine. Mine. And I'll stomp on you if you touch it again. Mine. It's, it's that inbred selfishness. It's that everything's about me. Now, look, we grow older. <laughs> Sometimes we forget that we're just older versions of ourselves. We don't change a whole lot without Christ changing us. But as we get older, if our lives are not surrendered to Christ by denying ourselves, we just change the terminology. No longer do we snatch and say, mine. We say things like, my body, my choice. We, we say things like, I live my life, you do you. Get out of my face. Don't judge me. Or America's favorite excuse, well, nobody's perfect. <sighs> One problem. Somebody was perfect, and somebody is perfect. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the perfect someone has a perfect standard for those who will spend eternity with him. We have to recognize that inclusive but exclusive. He has a perfect standard for, for those who will spend eternity with him. And that perfect standard is himself. And he doesn't grade on the curve. He doesn't say, oh, I know where you're from. I've got a different gospel for you. I know what family you were born in. I have a different gospel for you. I know what you've been through. You have a different gospel. No, he says, this is the gospel. This is the way. This is the pathway that leads to life. So here's the problem. If we are not perfect, but he has a perfect standard, then the only way to get to heaven or to be with him for eternity is to have no sin on our record <laughs> or to find another way. So, so here's our options. Let's just go through them real fast. Number one, if, if we're going to spend eternity with Jesus, if we understand the perfect standard is this, and that's number one, then I guess we better never sin. You say, well, you know, I was born. You said we were born in sin, so I guess I've sinned. Yeah, but if, if only. If that was only your only sin. We add to it daily by our attitudes, our actions, our, our motivations, our, our, our thought life, and even how we view other people. The Bible says it this way in 1 John 1, 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Somebody ought to say praise God right there, amen? But if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So that one's off the table. Here's the second option. Do something really heroic to save ourselves. Last time I checked, I didn't create a universe. I can't create anything from dirt. I don't make a very good God. So if I'm going to do something, then let me ask you, how will you know you've done enough? We can feed 46,000 individuals in our community throughout the year. Is that enough? See, see we, we don't feed people so that they may know Jesus. That's part of it. We feed people because we know Jesus. And he changed our lives to say, oh, be part of this so that you can share the gospel, that they may know him. So saving our life doesn't work. So finally, the only option is we need someone who's perfect to take our place. And that's what Jesus did. He was perfect. And he paid the ransom for us. He went to the cross instead of us. 
He said, I will bear all your sin upon me. I'll bear all your iniquity upon me. I'll go to the cross and pay the price. But only when you follow me by denying yourself and taking up your cross, then my identity becomes your identity. You see, we, we, we need to submit our sin nature to him. We love John 3.16, don't we? I know it's football season coming up. Someone's got that big sign in the end zone going away. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We love that verse, but we forget its context. There was a man named Nicodemus that came to Jesus at night. He was a Pharisee, a, Phar- a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was one of the leaders. He said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus pretty much said, you can do nothing but you must be born again. Now, that's confusing, isn't it? I can just picture Nicodemus that moment going, born again. Hey, Mom, I need to talk to you. This is going to be awkward. (laughs) No, not born again physically, but you need to be born again spiritually. Your spirit, your soul is dead, but I want to bring it to life. It's got to be born again. It's nothing we can do. It's what God does in us and through us. Our soul needs renewed birth. We need to be born again by the Spirit. We, we, we receive that new identity in Christ. Check it out in Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not something I can do. But yet when I deny myself and say, Lord, I want to follow you, I want to be all in, then his power begins to work in me, and my old life dies, and the new life rises up. That's what he does. You see, we live in a culture that fights this, though. When you hear the word deny yourself, it's almost wrong to say, it sounds wrong to say that's counterculture. It is so countercultural. The Bible never says, go find yourself. That's pop psychology. The Bible never says, go out there and seek truth, and somewhere in that truth you'll discover who you are. No, the Bible says, if you find yourself, lose yourself. If you want to find your life, lose it. If you want to to gain something, lay it all down. And the only way we do that is by looking into God's Word, because He already said in His Word who we are. In Ephesians 2.20, He says, we are His, uh, 2.10, we are His workmanship. In the the original language, he's saying, you are his masterpiece. Somebody hear that this morning. You are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He made it clear. Look, all the philosophers that have come and gone, because none of them are God, say, there's truth. Here's truth. Go find truth. Let me show you truth. Jesus is the only one that stood up and said, I am truth. I am truth. You want to know your life? Find it in me. You want to know how this life is? Find it in me. Look, he personified truth. He is the absolute truth. And we are people that are of absolute truth. And that's where the culture doesn't like it. When we say this is what the Word of God says. Are there times where we'd like to rewrite it? Yes. There's times when I have to share hard things with somebody that is far from God, and they're like, but do you believe this? I say, yes, because there's no other words to give life. You see, church, the gospel is for all. 
for all that are far off, for all who, it, it comes in that place where it says, if anybody wants to know God, there's a pathway, but he starts with saying this, we must deny ourselves. So how do we do that? Let's get back to that question, how do we do this? Number one, we start by repenting of sin. Repenting of sin. Repentance just means we go the other direction from it, right? We, we turn our hearts. The Bible teaches that repentance is a change of heart, a change of life regarding sin. It's turning from our simple ways to God's way, turning from his, our desire to his desire. It says we repent because we have sinned against God and we want to be forgiven. And when we repent, we are acknowledging our need for God's forgiveness and for God's grace, and he gives it to us liberally. I love when the word says, when I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But I've not really repented if I just say, thank you, God, and I keep going in that same direction of sin. I only repent if I say, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit in me, God, help me to go another way. Help me no longer to be captured by that habit. Help me no longer be captured by that thought. But you know, the moment we say you must, the moment we say you've got to repent, someone will say, but pastor, I thought again, all we had to do is believe this sounds like works. And I've heard you say it before, we're saved by faith, not works. And yes, that's the only way we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works that any man should boast. Listen, all of the religious systems of the world have a faith plus works pathway to God. If you break down true Roman Catholicism, it's faith plus works. You get to Mormonism, faith plus works. Jehovah's Witnesses, faith in a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible, plus works. But Bible says very clearly, he did the work. We were created for good works, but it's not, it comes after we are saved. It's not about doing things to earn our way to God, but repentance is an act. It is a decision of heart and mind that says, I want to deny myself, repent, and it initiates a heart change that engages the power of the Holy Spirit that does the work in me to make me a new creation. So church, yes, we have to start with repentance. The faith that saves us is not a faith that just says, I choose to believe. It's a faith that says, I'm all in. I'm all in. That's why we use the word surrender so much. It's all in. So the first thing we have to do is we have to repent of our sin. The second is we have to reject the indulgence of the flesh. Reject the indulgence of the flesh. Romans 13, 14 says it this way, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's pretty heavy language, isn't it? It's interesting if you read some verses around that. It says in verse 12, we're to put on the armor of light. It literally pictures this battle. It pictures this scene where as, as followers of Christ, our fleshly desires are still wanting to resurrect and say, oh, but remember when you did this? It felt good, didn't it? And we have to, we have to deny that we're putting it down. We're making no provision for that. But many sadly shrug their shoulders <laughs> at sin in their lives, and, and, and they kind of adopt it like a pet. I've heard people use the word like pet sin. It's just my pet sin. And, you know, what's interesting about that is the problem is that pet you think is like a, a nice little kitten is, is actually a line cub, you know? And what happens is, is, is you convince yourself that sin is harmless. It's just a little lie, Pastor. It's just, it's just a, a little thing I do to make me feel okay. You even name your sin so often. Well, it's just my weakness, it's just my oops. It's just my habits. And then friends, because that's what the body of Christ does, they try to warn you and they say, what are you doing? 
Do you realize what you have in your hands? You're like, oh, it's no big deal. I can handle it. Mind your own business. You do you. But it's biting you. Do you not recognize? I see the scar. It's biting you. And, you're like, and they're like, you're so judgmental. Christians are just so judgmental. You have your own pet. Just deal with your own pets. And again, they say, please understand, it wants to eat you. And they say, no, 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 it's just playing around. After all, it's just crazy. And that's what sin is. It's just crazy. Because the Bible makes it clear. Sin ultimately grows up and destroys you. What is a nice little pet in a moment can be turns into an addiction or a habit that destroys what is a, a nice little pet in the moment turns into something that destroys your relationship, your family, your soul, your spirit? James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way in James 1.14. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Guys, sin is not something to play with. We don't name it. We don't put it down. We don't just act like it's no big deal. What, do, what the Word is saying here is we've got to stop feeding the things of this world that control our lives. If you feed that sin, it grows and ultimately extinguishes the influence of the Spirit on your life. But if you feed the Spirit of God in your life, guess what? It overcomes the, skin, the sin. That's how you change. When I got saved, I had a foul mouth. Anybody had a foul mouth when you got saved? Y'all won't even admit it. Well, y'all like, oh, not me. No, no. I don't curse on the golf course. I'm good. Mine was a foul mouth. Ironic, isn't it, that I'm a preacher now? But I remember when I got saved, I'm like, I'm saved. It's amazing. I mean, the, the life comes in. I'm like, boom, I'm perfect. Only to go out the next day and I'm cursing again. What? And some old saint says, you got to learn to put to death that. And feed that which is right, whatsoever is true, whatever is so right, what is pure, what is beautiful. Think on those things. And it took this time, but God was working in me. And I never forget the day when something happened. And my old habit would have been just a, I knew what I would have said. And it wasn't there. Does that mean it doesn't try to resurrect from time to time? Yes. Satan doesn't give up, but he's defeated. And when he tries to resurrect, they're like, uh, uh, no, no, that's who I used to be. That's how I used to talk. That's how I used to think. No, I stopped feeding that a long time ago and feeding the spirit that is greater than sin, and it transforms our lives. But to have that happen, guys, we've got to put ourselves in the atmosphere of transformation. If we're going to follow Christ, that's why we put ourselves in the Word. That's why we, put, we surround ourselves with people of God. We, 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 we put discipline in our lives of prayer and, and thanksgiving and praise. That's why by even doing this this morning, it's not about, will I check off church. No, this is part of that discipline. We gather together and encourage each other. Why? Because in that atmosphere, God brings transformation. I think for someone today, the greatest thing you're going to walk out of here today is, is you're going to go back and assess your friends, your habits, and your culture and say, have I put myself in a place to grow in Christ or have I put my place in, put myself in a place to grow into the culture? What do we do with Jesus? And the third thing and the final thing above denying ourselves is relinquish your role as king of your life. How many know we don't make good kings? Give up control. Oh, that is so counterintuitive in this world. But it's all about money. It's all about position. It's all about power. I've got it covered. I don't need anybody or need anything. That's the goal. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
And what can your man give in return for his soul? You see, when Jesus comes into your life, he comes into all your life. He, he, he doesn't come in and cut side deals and say, you can continue in that, I'll just take this over here. He, he doesn't come in and say, I want part of you. No, he says, I want all of you. That's why the old saying, I hear people say, oh, just give me a little bit of Jesus. You don't want a little bit of Jesus. He'll mess you up because he will come in and take it all. I, I love the, the way C.S. Lewis put it in Mere Christianity. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. And God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. You know there's some things that need to change, right? You're like, oh, come on in, God. I know there's some things that change. I got some bad habits, and yeah, I'm, but I'm pretty good. So he's getting the drains, right, and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew these jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But all of a sudden, you hear a jackhammer fire up. And you look down and say, what is he doing in the basement? And he's blowing up your foundation. And he, he's tearing things apart, and walls start coming down. He knocks the house around and about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. And you ask, what on earth are you doing, God? I wasn't that bad. But the explanation is that he's building qu quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. Get this, I love this. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace for he intends to come and live in it himself. Oh, man, that's our God. He's like, I didn't come just to add a number. I came to be in your house. I came to be your place. I came to be your God. So we deny ourselves. We take up our cross, which is not what we do. Guys, the, your wife is not your cross to bear somebody, okay? Neither is your child, your job, or anything else. No. The cross was an emblem of death. It was an identification of early believers that said, I choose to identify with the rebel that Rome crucified. And I'm willing to die for that. It wasn't some gold-encrusted, diamond-encrusted, something to hang around our necks and look cool. It wasn't something to just a tattoo on to show you got something. Flex the bicep, there's the cross. That's why we don't dress up our cross at Hope. Because it never was meant to be dressed up. It reminds us of the cross of Calvary. It identifies us. Remember I said it is exclusive. We deny ourselves and we offer ourselves to him. Why do we do that? Because we've got to be all in. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. How do we know that anybody that picked up their cross had no intention of coming back alive? Hey, I'm, I'm carrying my cross. See you later. Hold lunch for me. No. Peter himself would be crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy of being crucified like Christ. We sit in America like nobody's crucifying us, Pastor. No, but we need to let God crucify our old self so we can raise up a new life. And we do that by taking up our cross. What does that look like? It means you're all in. It means your whole life is an offering to God. Every part of you, your gifts, your talents, your ambitions, your, your heartbeat, everything, it's his, that, that, that house, that, 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 that car, that, that job, that, that uniqueness about you. God wants to use the uniqueness of you to reveal the uniqueness of him to a world that desperately needs him. 
But that doesn't happen unless we're all in. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, 12 verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Notice those two words, conformed and transformed. They're both actions that happen to you. We are conformed whether we like it or not. We are being conformed by media. We are being conformed by, by politicians. We are conformed by the culture around us every day. And we give God about an hour on a Sunday to come in and say, Oh, God, transform me. And we wonder why we struggle. Our choices, our environments mold us. We ought to be the family of the king and foreign to this world. Because our citizenship, according to the world, the word of God says our citizenship is in heaven. Growing up in church, there used to be an old uh, chorus they sang back in the day, and, and especially we hear these stories of missionaries, and, but it's, it was simply said this, the cross before me, the world behind me. No, help me out, someone. No turning back. Turning back. I want to be identified more with the king than with the adulterous and sinful generation. I want to be more concerned about what he thinks of me than what the world thinks of me. You see, the, the mark of the follower, the mark of one who comes into the gospel is they have a conviction that transforms their lives, not just a belief that agrees. Our religion just says believe. The problem is we come to the gates of heaven and, and we stand in that place of entrance and, and we wonder why we've even been allowed there. Can I tell you, it's not because they say, well, we believed in Jesus. Because Jesus said it himself and James' brother made it clear, good. Even the demons believe he's Jesus. That's why they cried out, why are you tormenting a son of God? They knew. But it's more than believism. Listen, theism never saved anybody, but faith in Jesus Christ is a faith that transforms us. That's why we can say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That word in Christ means we are into. We, we put everything in him. It's like, this, it's like this table up here. I can say this is a table. I believe it's in a table. But if I were to put my whole life into it and say it is the only thing that my life will become what it should be in, now I'm putting my trust in it. If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You see, in Christ, I put all my hope. I put all my trust I put my past, I put my present, I put my future. I don't know how you pray, but I, I pray, God, today I surrender it all, God. God, my position is yours, God. I know you don't like hearing this, elders, but I say I'm the pastor of hope today because, God, you want me to be, but if you change that tomorrow, it's your business. God, I surrender my ambitions. God, I surrender my gifts. God, it's all yours. Why? Because I want to be found in him. And finally, he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. What does following Christ mean? What does that mean in your life? What does that look like? What does that change about conversations? What, what does it change about your prayers? What does it change about how you view life? It changes everything. It should. Because to follow Christ means that we begin doing the things that Jesus does. We see the world through a different filter. 
It's not us against them. That's why several weeks ago I was laughing and joking with David about all the songs talking about our enemies. There's only one enemy we have is Satan. He's defeated. But if you start looking at other people as your enemy, guess what? You're missing the gospel. The person you think that is a farthest from God, how can God ever save them? You may be dancing around the throne of God within heaven, so get over it. But don't judge it to the place you're not even willing to witness into it. So we start doing what Jesus does. We start caring, we start loving, we start sacrificing our lives. Because in only in the doing the things that Jesus does do we start becoming more like him every day. Listen, if, if you gave your heart to Jesus 20, 30 years ago and you're still the same person, you might want to get on your knees this week and have a little talk with Jesus. Because he will transform you. He will change. I am not what I used to be. I'm not yet what I will be and I want to be, but I'm a long ways from where I was. Because God is changing us day by day. And finally, you'll find yourself where Jesus is. You won't wake up in the morning and say, God, hitch up. Let's go. I got plans. I'm busy. You got five minutes. Let's go. Say, God, what do you want to do through me today? God, whose life's going to change because you bring me into it? So Jesus said to the crowd, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Forever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So where is Jesus in your life? Who is he to you? I've tried my best to lay it out as plainly as I can. But I know this. I know that change is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of God. And whenever he finds a willing heart that just simply says to him, Lord, I, I surrender. I give it to you. Then all the yeah buts go away. All the things that hold back go away. And God says, let me accept you as you are, and let me now show you the way of transformation. And he wants to do that in your life today. Maybe you're someone who's been in church. Church is your thing. Not opposed to Jesus, but not really all in. Can I encourage you today? Decide to go all in. Ask God what that looks like in your life. Open the Word. He'll show it to you. Maybe, maybe you're someone today, you've been around church and Yet you just realize, I'm, not, I'm just not there yet. I, 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 there's too much over here I, I still have control of. But maybe you're at a place where you've heard enough to say, but I want that. God says to let go. Surrender your life to him. And the word says he will come and dwell with you. He will come, his Holy Spirit will come live in you. He'll come and begin working from the inside out, changing you. Oh, you don't have to clean yourself up. That's a, that's a lie of our southern culture. Well, just make yourself right, then Jesus will... No. No. The thief on the cross, I'm going to dance around the throne of God with him. He had no chance to clean himself up. No chance. But what did Jesus say to him? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So church, where are you today? We're going to pray in a moment, and you, you in this moment need to make a decision. Where are you? You can walk out of here today the same. You can say, oh, that's, that's for those. Yeah, okay. 
There is, there's no normality in that. We are his or we're not. He wants all of us. If anyone, if anyone. I love the words of Jesus. He said, come unto me all that are weary and heavy laden, broken and burdened. And he says, and I'll give you rest. But you got to come.